welcome to the Broadcast Sport Podcast. I'm senior reporter Max Miller, and in this episode, I speak to IMG's Senior Vice President and Managing Director of Digital, Lewis Wiltshire, about their recently released Digital Trends Report 2024 and what's next for digital content. Yeah, so the IMG Digital Trends Report uh, is, is an annual report that has, we've, we've done it for many years, uh, since before we were acquired by IMG when it was the seven league digital trends report comes out around this time every year and and looks forward to the digital trends that we think the global sports industry needs to be aware of over the following 12 months and in the past um we've been it's been very gratifying to not only see that some of our predictions have, have come true uh, so for example this time last year when we said that we thought that ai would be uh, a dominant feature of 2023 uh, which came out in, in our report before ChatGPT blew the doors off the global tech uh, landscape as it did. Um, but it's also gratifying when we hear that our uh, clients and partners and friends in the sports industry really look forward to this coming out every year. Now, it's grown and grown over the years um, from quite a humble offer that we um, we used to uh, just produce it ourselves internally and then send it out by email to something which is now uh, drawing on uh, a lot of the expertise of, of the wider uh, IMG uh, group, but also um, it, it is a really collaborative effort by the IMG digital team. So this is not just the work of one or two or three people. This is uh, the entire IMG digital team who pull the knowledge and, and expertise that comes from monitoring the tech landscape all year round, every year, uh, to, to whittle this down to sort of seven trends where we think the sports industry really needs to be aware of those. So yeah, it's something which has grown over the years and we're very proud of. Mm-hmm. And looking at those results, one of the big headline ones is your list of the most important platforms. So you've got this year TikTok at the top and kind of going down from there through the usual suspects. Why is TikTok so important, I guess, is the first question. And kind of how should you be using it from your findings? Yeah, so this is the platform power rankings, which is a new addition uh, to, to the digital trends report. So we we included seven digital trends, which we, has always been the number, which was uh, a obviously because we used to be called Seven League before we were acquired by IMG. Uh, and then when, when when this became the IMG Digital Trends Report, we decided to keep it at seven as a nod to our roots. Um, but but there is an appendix or, an, or a secret eighth um, trend, or not a trend, but a chapter, which is our digital platform power rankings, which we thought would be a useful and interesting addition for our clients so that they would, uh, as we keep it in over the future years, that they would be able to see the risers and fallers um, on that list. And as you say, uh, TikTok um, came out number one, and, and I'll, I'll explain how and why that happened. But interesting, Max, that you use the phrase there, the usual suspects, because actually that's really that's part of what we're trying to get the sports industry to think about, which is thinking beyond just, quote unquote, the usual suspects uh, and um, and avoid this sense of, you know, well, you have these social media buttons on the bottom of your website and they go to the classic quartet of uh, Facebook, Twitter, now X, uh, Instagram and TikTok. And, and look, for some rights holders in sports, that might well be the right mix. Um, but for other rights holders in sports, it might not. And we would always advocate that any sports rights holders think really clearly about what they're trying to achieve through digital. And, you know, if your objectives were to target young audiences in the Middle East or North America, Snap might be your best port of call. If your objective was to target premium hospitality, then LinkedIn might be your best platform to use. But 
notwithstanding the specific requirements of individual sports rights holders, what we wanted to do was give a sense which uh, it blends a methodology of where we see our clients investing their time, where we see those clients getting results on these platforms, uh, where we see the growth of these individual platforms and how the platforms themselves are performing, what the commercial returns are from those platforms now, what we think the commercial returns from those platforms could be for our clients and rights holders uh, as we go forwards. Um, and we put all of that together into a blended methodology. And what came out, as you said, was that TikTok was was first. I don't think anyone in the sports industry would would disagree with that. Uh, but also there was a pretty clear top three, which was which was TikTok, uh, Instagram, and YouTube. And there was quite a big gap to fourth, actually, and uh, and 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 fourth being Facebook, and then WhatsApp in fifth, which. Had we done this a year ago, uh, I don't think we would have had uh, WhatsApp as high as fifth. But with with some of the recent product innovations um, that that WhatsApp has introduced, we now think it's a really good and viable uh, platform for for sports rights holders to connect to audiences. So yeah, the platform power rankings is a bit of fun, and um, and actually when we when we unveiled the list. Uh, last night to our clients we we got immediate feedback that actually that the top three that you've mentioned are the are the big three that we this is our client speaking invest a lot of our time in so we know we know it's it's resonated and uh yes ha- have some fun with it in future years to see the rises and fallers for sure yeah definitely it also seems that well from those top three that video is pretty important basically you're not on kind of twitter or x and facebook and stuff is more written sometimes whereas your your big three as it is are all video focused really yeah they are they're all it's a really good spot they're all they're all video um platforms uh really i mean you know we wouldn't have always described instagram as such but obviously now now it really is and uh and they're all nine by 16 video platforms so you know the rise and rise of vertical video um has been one of the dominant um features of, of that landscape and uh, as you say we, we had you know we had tiktok first but we had youtube comes in second with youtube shorts being a, a really sort of dominant and recent feature that youtube have rolled out and then instagram in third with obviously reels um but even you know stories going back back a bit further and uh you know instagram has, has rapidly innovated and um and has become really an essential part of the mix for sports rights holders but as, as you as you rightly say max video and especially vertical video and especially short form vertical video it's it's an it's a no negotiation must have part of any uh sports rights holders content toolkit mm-hmm. and obviously you've seen sports broadcasters recently have been experimenting with kind of broadcasting live games in vertical video or um, I think it's Cricket World Cup as well. They had a lot of content coming out vertically. So do you think that's something that's going to continue on? Is it something that's going to become more important? Or is it more, are people using that those platforms not for live content? It's stuff they're going to do alongside it. Well, live content is 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 one of the, the best, um, most potent parts of the sports industry's weaponry or, um, you, you know, one of the, one of the most valuable tools it, it has to deploy. Um, obviously, there's a premium value to live rights in, in the broadcast sense. And with so many new entrants into the broadcast space, Apple, Amazon, YouTube itself, live sports continues to have that premium. And, and it plays a little bit to one of the other trends in our report, which is where we talk about um, personalization as a business critical essential for for sports and and one of the points we made in that chapter of the trends report was that for anyone born this century live sport is pretty much the only content they now consume that is not tailored specifically for them 
Uh, and it's such a stunning revelation when you think about it. Uh, and, and one of our IMG digital team, uh, Dan Ayres, who wrote that chapter, when when he when he created that that chapter and I saw that line in it, I thought it's, it's such an, a really powerful point, which is that, yeah, of course, that, that anyone born this century has, has grown up with streaming and with um with web two platforms like instagram and and to an extent um twitter and others but but then more recently uh, tiktok where you know there is a for you experience there is an algorithm led experience they watch netflix they consume amazon video everything from spotify to their you know apple music playlist everything that they consume is is tailored to them but live sport isn't and you know whilst that is a, an opportunity and a threat for live sports to the to the extent that you were talking about uh, live sports on some of these um vertical short form video platforms like tiktok instagram and and, and and youtube absolutely to your point live live sport is coming through there but live sport also plays into that other trend where we think that sports will absolutely now have to build around the live experience much more personalization much deeper personalization in order to connect with uh, younger audiences for whom it's absolutely an expectation yeah and that well links very nicely because i was going to say the personalization next um so i'm doing your segues for you max as well this is i know it's lovely yeah <laughs> um so one of the interesting things about that was speaking about the feeds i guess kind of on tiktok or instagram whatever it is you're using is that sports now having to compete almost more against non-sport content. So kind of, whereas in the past, someone might turn on Sky Sports or BT Sport or something, and you know they've gone there for sport. Someone's opening TikTok and they're not necessarily there for that reason. So how does that, I guess, how do you see that playing out? And what kind of things do rights holders, broadcasters need to be looking at? I think it's such a brilliant and key point because sports has always, in my opinion, had to compete with non-sports forms of entertainment and I don't think it always has. Um, I don't think sports has always thought about that. I think to your to your excellent point, Max, I think sports has always tried to compete with other sports or more likely with uh, with itself. Um, so, you know, uh, within a sport, teams will compare themselves, club teams uh, will compare themselves to other club teams in that sport. Very rarely would you hear a sport and even less commonly a team within a sport compare itself to another part of the entertainment landscape and yet the reality is that that is how people consume sports that that it, that it happens in and around other parts of the entertainment uh, landscape to your point if you open up uh, tiktok or instagram or youtube yes the algorithm will pump sports at you if you have previously indicated to the algorithm that you like sports either because you've uh, explicitly or implicitly uh, told the algorithm that uh, by what you consume or, or by other uh, other forms of activity on those apps. But I think it's unrealistic to, for, for any of us to think that sports will always be the only thing that our consumers are watching on those platforms. So I think sports has always competed in that space without always knowing it. And uh, and, and if now there is a, a real, as we move towards an algorithm everything world where everything on Netflix, everything on Amazon, everything on Spotify everything on Apple Music, everything on Instagram, everything on TikTok, everything on YouTube is delivered to the user via an algorithm that detects what the user is interested in, then absolutely sports needs to be part of that mix and thinking about how it delivers personalization for the user. And it's part of appealing to the, well, appealing to an algorithm almost, aren't you? Um, it's part of that, another one of your points, which is the importance of influencers. So is that a way that 
by partnering with an influencer or by you know working alongside them can um rights holders broadcasters and so on make them cross over i guess is what i'm trying to say in far too many words crossover between sport and entertainment yeah absolutely so w- w- this chapter of the img digital trends report relates to uh, uh, as we're calling it the rise of the mega influencer and and that was uh, informed or inspired by the the three mega influencers of 2023 in the world of sports which was Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and then a third one which perhaps few saw coming at the start of the year Taylor Swift as one of the great sports influencers of 2023 so when we looked at how we felt that the tech landscape would play out for sports rights holders in 2024 obviously you look at 2023 uh, and and you look at what 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 we're seeing and what we can uh, detect um, might might be the trends that then carry forward into the into the following year, and we think with with the impact that those three have had, that simply it will cause sports to rethink definitions of influencers and what influencers bring to the party. Uh, you know, it used to be that the definition of a mega influencer was, was one million followers. Well, that <laughs> frankly starts to look and feel a little bit disappointing when you when you put that against Messi, Ronaldo and, and Taylor Swift. The impact that those three have had, Messi on MLS, Ronaldo on the Saudi Pro League uh, and Taylor Swift on the NFL has been phenomenal in terms of jersey sales, in terms of social media engagement levels, in terms of broadcast viewership, broadcast subscriptions. It, it, it's been an amazing um, impact between the three of them. And, and yeah, we think in 2024, all sports will start to think about what's our version of that. And, you know, the the sort of hand-to-hand, week-to-week flow of what, what our influencers are delivering to us in terms of engaged eyeballs, we think will be redefined. And it seems like those influencers and athletes are realising that themselves as well, kind of a lot of them starting up their own production companies and media organisations. So how does that affect, I guess, the way the content's made? Does it make it almost less independent? It seems like it's coming out of official channels a lot more than it is through a broadcaster and so on. Well, it's interesting that in previous years in our trends report, we've we've covered off the the, the, the trend of athletes becoming media. And um, I think the interesting thing is, is that that's, that's really playing out in, in different ways. And it's, it's really a fascinating thing to monitor because... Definitely about two years ago, there was a trend for legendary, famous, um, clearly very wealthy athletes to invest in their own media platforms. And whilst we don't think that trend has completely gone away, it's also true that not all of those media platforms have been a riotous success. And it may well be that um, going forward, athletes at that kind of level realise that, that there are more gains to be made in leveraging the audiences that are on already successful platforms uh, versus trying to start your own media empire. Not to say that it's wrong or right in every case, more to say that we're definitely seeing a trend perhaps back towards athletes leveraging the existing platforms. Mm-hmm. And well, about those platforms as well. So you kind of have on how to use social media and how people or media, as you think everyone should be calling it. Um, you have your four groups, the kind of the updates for news, entertainment, um, revenue and community. So obviously, I mean, in terms of creating content and so on, it seems the entertainment group would be the main one for kind of production and broadcast and stuff, which was Spotify and TikTok, YouTube, Snap and Instagram. So why are those 
the best platforms, I guess, for video content and audio with Spotify. So this this chapter that, that we're talking about now is 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 what we're calling "Stop Saying Social Media," and it's a deliberately provocative uh, title because we ourselves are not going to be able to stop ourselves from saying that phrase, which is so baked into our day to day language, especially for those of us who who work in it and have devoted many years of our careers to it, as I have. Um, it trips off the tongue. It's easy to say it. But the fact is, when you take a step back and analyze the term social media, what really does it mean? It, these platforms are not social and they haven't really been for a long time. It, it, for them to be truly social media platforms would require the major publishers to those platforms to be social. And they're not really. They, they use them as publishing platforms. So we're not saying that those platforms are outdated. We're not saying that those platforms don't hold a purpose. Far from it. In fact, we 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 think that those platforms still carry enormous weight and value. It's more that we think the term itself is is redundant. And to the extent that you could argue, why does that matter? If I call it social media, it's just a name. What difference does it make? Well, I think it affects the way that you think about using those platforms. And in a way, it restricts your imagination and restricts your um, potential horizons to, as, as I mentioned earlier, this kind of almost this classic quartet of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, when actually Snap or Discord or Reddit or Threads or any number of other platforms, WhatsApp might be your your, your best bet to unlock your own organization's objectives. We always say to our clients, you don't necessarily need a digital strategy. You need a strategy with digital in it. That digital is the best lever you've got to unlock your organizational objectives. And to do that effectively, you need to really think hard about which platforms you're using. And these are third party platforms, right? So we're also advising our clients on um, on, on website and app and CRM and e-com and, and any number of other aspects of the digital landscape. But as it relates to, let's call them third party digital platforms, as opposed to, you know, social media, um, you know, to avoid the sunk cost fallacy of thinking, well, we've already invested 10 or 15 years into this platform. What are the best platforms to achieve your organizational objectives right now? And in many cases, the IMG digital team will help our clients to understand that mix. But as you said, in our in our IMG digital, digital trends report now, we've given we've given uh, the readers of the report an overview of, of four ways in which you might consider what you need to get from these platforms, update, entertain, revenue and community. And then we've given an overview of which platforms might fit that mix. So for, as you said, for update, breaking news, keeping followers informed, um, setting the record straight when, when you feel it needs to be set straight, Instagram, X, um, Telegram, uh, WhatsApp, uh, but if you're looking to entertain, you know, Spotify, Ian Liddell on the IMG digital team is a really big advocate of Spotify for sports. He thinks that more sports need to consider Spotify as a big part of their mix. Uh, and he makes a very compelling case for why um, YouTube, obviously, TikTok, obviously, Instagram, Snap. Uh, but for revenue, you might look to YouTube, to Facebook, uh, to Twitch and others. Um, and then for community, you would definitely want to consider Discord, Reddit um patreon there's there's a whole substack there's a whole there's a whole world out there so I, I guess what that that chapter is deliberately provocative in the in the trends report but intended to ask sports rights holders to question uh their mix of platforms and whether there might be a better way i see and it, does it also kind of depend on what sport you are i guess as well because obviously esports is well known for it being massive on twitch and discord and 
have almost its own platforms basically compared to more traditional sports yeah i think it 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 can be determined by the sport that you are but i think it's more likely to be determined by the objectives that your business has um mm-hmm. because even within sports you could look at football and say well clearly tottenham hotspur's ambitions will be will be different from you know a, a team in the national league so i think it's more to do with where your business is right now and what you are looking to achieve in terms of global reach global engagement commercialization building a community um and and what we would typically do in the img digital team is go into that rights holder and help it to really set that roadmap of what it's trying to achieve and tie those digital objectives to the, to its business aspirations and goals uh, and then work out a roadmap for how it would achieve that and then we can also then deliver that for the rights holder and build those build those channels on those platforms because in our IMG digital team we've got experts in all of those areas mm-hmm. and well slightly differently one area I guess is not a single sport but women's sport has been really successful in kind of building community across social media platforms so um and you think that it's given it a good base basically for the next 12 months for quite fast growth so what what are your thoughts on that and kind of how has it done that I guess in a way as well yeah really excited about this trend last year in the trends report we we predicted that women's sports growth would primarily come through digital in 2023 and for 2024 what we're predicting is uh, we're calling it here comes the money um that women's sport will commercialize through digital in 2024 the reason for that being that for, I think two things. One, we're seeing money coming into women's sport in a way that it, it wasn't before necessarily. So if you look at um, funds such as Mercury 13, Monarch Collective, there are groups that are looking to invest in women's sports, which is such a great and welcome thing. Uh, and that's coming because the audience is growing. You know, the NCAA women's basketball final was the most watched women's college basketball game in history uh, this year. Uh, And there's just such momentum. And you look on on this side of the pond in Europe and and what we've seen in in recent years with the Women's World Cup and before that, the Women's Euros. Uh, And the Lionesses winning that Euro on on home soil really clearly in one of the major European markets um, uh, move women's sport forward in a really considerable way. You could look at England netball in 2018 winning the Commonwealth Games, a client that we've worked very closely with in our team at IMG as well. So uh, there is clearly a big momentum behind women's sport, which is attracting investment dollars. And that can only be a great thing. But the second reason, and this is the really interesting thing when it comes to digital platforms, is that what we believe is that because for a generation, women's sport did not achieve the mainstream media coverage that it needed to achieve, or or that it deserved, I should say, that there was a generation of audiences which had to go out of their way to find information about women's sports. And the place that they would have done that was digital. Now, what that led to was enormously engaged digital fan bases and communities around women's sport. And guess who loves enormously engaged digital communities? Brands. And so what we think that will happen in 2024 is that more sponsors will realise that they can unlock these engaged fan bases because women's sport has built up these hugely robust, hugely engaged, participatory, passionate fan bases uh, because of that, because digital was where that happened previously. And, and that, 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 will lead, that will lead to dollars. And 
frankly, we just think that women's sport will go through that cycle quicker than men's sport did because what men's sport needed to do was to get reach, then engagement, and then commercialization. And we just think that women's sports will uh, will whiz through that cycle much more quickly. Now, if, if if you're involved in women's sports, you will say it's come too slowly. And that, that's absolutely also a valid argument. And um, it has been too slow for, for global recognition, for, for investment and all of that stuff. But we would prefer to look on the positive side. And we really do think that 2024 will see investment into women's sports because of those digital audiences. Mm-hmm. And that's on the kind of the commercial side. Do you think it's, it'll be similar? So obviously, it's not quite digital, but on the kind of broadcast and viewership side, you've seen kind of the first rights fees for the WSL in the last few years and things like that. So do you think it'll kind of come hand in hand? Well, I think we have to acknowledge that in 2023, there was a fear at one point that the FIFA Women's World Cup would not be shown. I mean, I, I don't think it was ever going to reach that point, but 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 there was a, some people were concerned that the FIFA Women's World Cup would not be on screens in some of the major European markets because they hadn't they hadn't got to where they needed to get to in terms of, of a deal. But equally, you could look at the the work that IMG has done with the National Women's Soccer League in the US um, as a really landmark deal. There is reasons to be optimistic uh, in both broadcast and digital. And of course, to your point, Max, when you uh, there is increasingly lit, very little um, daylight between those two notions of broadcast and digital anyway, because, you know, many of these organisations will look to streaming solutions and, uh, you know, the, the, the new dominant players in the broadcast market will be uh, global digital platforms uh, anyway I mean it's it's a separate point from women's sports but if you would have told anyone 10 years ago that uh, three of the most interesting global sports broadcasters in the world would be Amazon YouTube and Apple uh, uh, people would have laughed and and now that is absolutely the, re- the reality so um, yeah the, I, increasingly and this is not one of our trends but since you brought it up uh, I think people won't really talk about broadcast and digital as two separate entities anymore. Is that you think there'll be more along the lines of obviously IMG involved with it as well, like the Apple deal for MLS, where it's global and then that allows for kind of digital contents a lot easier, I guess, because you don't have to worry so much about the rights in each individual territory. Well, we're very proud of the association. My, my colleague Barney Francis obviously has, has led a team that's that's been involved in that um, with, with Apple and MLS. Yeah, but the, the, look, I think I think you're right. I think it's. I think we, we we live in interesting times in terms of fragmentation of of, of media and and, and the, the the cycle of unbundling and then rebundling. I mean, my my personal view is that I think we're heading back towards a period where there will be dominant global players through whom we access our most of our sports and entertainment, and you know that those global players will will prove to be. The one the giants that already live and walk among us and you know we're seeing some of that already with the fact that i can subscribe to non-amazon streaming platforms through amazon and uh and i, and I think it, it it has become so fragmented that there will be a a rebundling uh along those lines but that's not to say that there won't be really good deep healthy competition in the, in the in the broadcast rights market there will be i just think for the consumer there will be a a slight kind of reintegration of where we access that myriad platforms through because at the moment it's a lot and you know you, you you do risk subscription fatigue and you also risk confusion about where can i find these sports yeah definitely especially when yeah so on different things in different countries um and then kind of moving on to well, they're not the last ones in the report, but the last ones we've got to in the report. First of all, we have Web 3.0 is obviously part of it, and that's on its way. But 
as you say in the report, there's been some kind of ideas that seem to be working and some that don't at the moment. Things like NFT and crypto and stuff have taken some quite big hits over the last few years. While you mentioned memberships and subscriptions could be something that blockchain is used for. So where, yeah, where do you see that area going and how could it be used for you know, broadcasters, rights holders? We think we're on the on the precipice of a third age of the internet. In fact, we think we're already in the beginnings of that third age of the internet. And that 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 clearly is true because you know if we look at Web One, uh, which was defined by one to many publishing by major media companies that would push content at us, and there was no way for us to personalize or participate in that content. Um, to Web Two, which I was you know, really deeply involved with um, leading BBC Sports social media at that time. And then I later moved to Twitter to to, to work for one of the platforms. Web2 really gave us, as consumers, as users, the opportunity for the first time to par- personalise and participate. So for the first time, I was able to, to an extent, control my own experience of the internet which football teams I liked which which musicians I liked which bands I was interested in and obviously you know the the first iPhone um, and smartphones in general and then app stores uh, gave us the ability to to control our digital environment so now I was able to essentially have a supercomputer in my pocket with an app store that meant I could control which um, which which media companies or which platforms I was in, most interested in. And then I could control my experience of those platforms by who I chose to follow. And then later, the algorithm would do a lot of that work for me. So, you know, all of that happened in Web 2. But with Web 3, because of the, the different terminologies and technologies that are now commonplace in terms of our weekly conversations as, as a global sports industry, you now look at, obviously AI, most notably, but also VR and mixed reality, um, algorithms for everything, streaming, um, the blockchain. You know, there is just a huge amount of new things, which if you put those together as an umbrella term, um, whether whether or not you agree with the term Web3, there is clearly a third age of the internet happening because this stuff is new and different from what's happened before. And and noticeably so, like, you know, a, a clean break. And also I think because 2024 is... 20 years since Mark Zuckerberg invented Facebook or the Facebook, because it was known in 2004 that, um, that, that there's a clear bookend on, on the Web 2 era. So I think we're, we believe we're in the third age of the Internet. And then it's just really, you know, does the term Web 3, uh, you know, offend you in some way because it evokes NFTs or, or you know, the blockchain or even crypto? Actually, what we think is that regardless of whether you call it Web 3 or the third age of the Internet or whatever you want to say, that there are broad that is an umbre- is a valid umbrella term for what is clearly um, an era of digital, and that it will be defined by three things, which is blockchain technologies underpinning um, what we've already seen as kind of Web three typical technologies like like NFTs or, or otherwise, but also secondly, immersive experiences encompassing everything from mixed reality and virtual reality to whole virtual worlds, whatever it might be, and then thirdly. AI and machine-based learning. And, you know, look, that is clearly the big hot topic of the industry, machine learning and and, and chat GPT being at the forefront of that, but also uh, recent moves by some of the other platforms, Amazon uh, X, um, Google, of course, uh, and others um, to compete with chat GPT. And we think that machine learning and, and everything that, that that will bring, not just in terms of chat GPT, uh, and its competitors in terms of, of, of a sort of a web-based pilot, but also in terms of generative AI and all of the opportunities to create content in different ways 
uh, will will be a dominant feature of 2024. Yes, and again, it leads nicely. On. Another segue. Another yeah, segue. <laughs> um, so, yeah. in terms of the, yeah, in terms of generative AI and its effects on content, some people are worried it will you know swamp the internet with kind of poor quality content and things like that. Other people think it makes it a lot easier to make high quality stuff. So, what kind of effect do you think it could have, and how soon could it be you know having that effect? Oh, it's now. I mean, it's already happening. The, the, in this chapter of the IMG Digital Trends Report, we call it cut, create and cultivate. And and what we mean by that is that there are, you know, th- th- there are different ways in which AI and specifically generative AI will um, will, will, will influence um, global media and global sports uh, in 2024. Um yeah, look, I mean, I think it does come with its own, um, it, it will come with advantages and disadvantages. So, you know, the, the idea that you can really drastically cut um, inefficiencies or, or reduce the time that it takes you to to do something. So, for example, uh, AI will absolutely enable um, much faster uh, video editing uh, that, than was the case before. Uh, and there are already examples in the media of of major shows in the US cutting edit times reportedly from five hours to five minutes. Um, the um, the ability to um, to use large, large language models uh, to um, to, to create chat GPT experiences, we think we've already covered in, in this conversation, and we think will be a, a really sort of major um, boom in 2024. Uh, we're already seeing huge increase in people on LinkedIn adding terminology like general artificial intelligence, chat GPT, prompt engineering, prompt crafting onto their sort of LinkedIn uh, professional profiles. Um, so there's there's, there's there's a huge amount of, of positive uh, whether you whether you're cutting down time and inefficiencies or whether you're using it to create and cultivate but equally there is a there is a more worrisome side to that so, uh, I think it's not just poor quality content I think it's also there are there, there there should be valid fears about impersonation and deep fakes so one of the things we've already seen in 2023 is major celebrities having to come out and say this version of me that you've seen on the internet publicizing a certain product that is not me and I have no association with that product and as the technology improves that's absolutely going to be something that the sports industry in particular has to deal with in 2024 which is in my background, when I used to work at, at Twitter before, I would regularly have sports rights holders coming to me and telling me that someone was impersonating their athlete on on Twitter. And that was a text-based impersonation where someone would put a little photo that they'd pulled off the internet and they would say, I am this person, give the name. And you know, even though it was a non-verified account, um, loads of people would believe it and they would be following this account and reacting to its every word until we suspended the account that all now suddenly feels very quaint and very old-fashioned in relation to full deep fake versions of a celebrity being out there apparently walking talking breathing and saying stuff that that celebrity has never said and would never say sometimes with malicious purposes Uh, that is um, that is definitely uh, a concern but I think a reality that we're gonna have to deal with in 2024. Mm -hmm. And well, as a final question before we wrap up, obviously you've got seven predictions and the platform on top, but what would be your, for someone who's making content and looking to, well, making content for digital in 2024, what is the main thing they should be thinking about taking advantage of? Well, a couple of things on that. I mean, the, the main thing that you that you need to um, to be to be aware of is to have a plan uh, for digital. So the idea that you just launch into some of this stuff without thinking it through, bring us in, you know, m- many of the biggest sports in the world use IMG's digital team to, to help them create this plan and then execute that plan. 
But the, the, the other thing I'd quickly add is just my favourite trend of the seven, which is the, the only one we haven't covered here, uh, is, is the rise and rise of smart stadia. And the reason I mentioned that is just because I think uh, the, the, the sphere in Las Vegas was absolutely one of the coolest things that we saw in 2023. And this idea that your your venue, your building itself can become an interactive medium, advertising inventory, a broadcaster, uh, I just think is such a cool, such an exciting and innovative new thing that we're going to uh, see sports um uh, try and achieve in 2024, not just because of what we've seen with the sphere, but there are, are other examples across uh, across the world as well, where this is is starting to happen more and more. And you know, when you when you think about, I mean, I, I, I go back to London 2012, and you know, the incredible incredible work that was done to to build a whole roster of new arenas and stadia around London and beyond to to host that Olympics. Now suddenly, almost feels like wow, like you know. 11 or so or 12 years have passed and and suddenly when you look at the sphere we, we are absolutely in a, in a new era and where buildings themselves will become content and that is that is a fascinating development so yeah uh, i throw that in as a last thought uh, just because i think it's one of the coolest trends in there and yeah obviously very scratched the surface of the report so how can people get it if they want it yeah so you can go to img.com uh, or you can follow img on linkedin and various other uh, platforms. Um, my colleague Olivia's team um, run a lot of those. Uh, I was going to say social media platforms, but I'm not allowed to say social media now, according to my own report. So, uh, but yeah, you can find it across IMG's platforms, and uh, we hope people enjoy the report. Thanks for listening to the Broadcast Sport podcast. You can find more of our content at broadcastnow.co.uk/broadcast-sport. Meanwhile, make sure to subscribe, and we'll see you for the next one.